drive time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. Now, here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. And this is your producer, Adrian Fonseca. I'm not Joe McClain. I am so sorry. Joe McClain is not here today. And actually, I'm not here today either because today is a pre-recorded show because today is Labor Day. And because of Labor Day, we will not have a show today. Uh, Well, we will not have a live show today. We are still having a show as usual. Always a show. But today is a pre-recorded show. In fact, we have a couple great interviews for today. We have Phil Lawler is on. And one of my favorite interviews is Robert Riley uh, with his book, Making Gay Okay. No, no, he's not saying that, you know, gay, like making it making it acceptable. No, he's saying, explain, how did we get to the point where all of America seems uh, to allegedly accept uh, same-sex marriages? How did this happen? And he traces that lineage. It's going to be a great conversation. I'm looking forward to uh, to it. Or And actually, we I already did hear it say the interview, so I already know. It's a great interview, and you're about to hear it t- later today in just a few minutes. But don't worry. Today's format will be a little bit different, so there's not going to be any breaking news of the day. You're going to have to uh, wait for tomorrow to get the breaking news and stories with Janice tomorrow morning. But for today, we will have the Saints of the Day, the Gospel of the Day. We'll have a brief uh, Gospel reflection, and then we will go to break, come back, jump into the interview, and it'll be a great show. I promise it'll be good. Then tomorrow morning, we'll be right back here, live in studio, with Joe and I and Janice. We'll be here tomorrow, and we will go and we'll have our game show is going to be suspended for today only. So you can call in tomorrow during the second hour. We have our game show, and that will still be there tomorrow. And so you'll be able to tune in tomorrow and call in, and we'll be here live, and we'll give away a prize. So praise be to Jesus Christ. And uh, we will start with the memorare as usual. And before we do that, I guarantee you, Joe went out dove hunting, and I guarantee it, tomorrow morning we're going to tell you all about it. We're going to tell you about how Joe went dove hunting and how he brought me a ton of dove meat. I'm, I'm assuming. I'm assuming that that's the case. Uh, it could be wrong, but you know, I have faith. I have faith that Joe came back and brought me all the dove meat that I could eat. It's going to be great. I'm, I'm very excited to share that with you tomorrow, tomorrow morning. But without further ado, uh, let's jump into the prayer. We'll, we'll pray the memorare. We'll do the saint of the day, gospel of the day, and we'll do a brief gospel reflection as well. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now, no breaking news, but we'll go into the saint of the day. The saint of the day is Saint Bertrand. Saint, or rather, Blessed Bertrand of Garigou. Saint Bertrand, or Blessed Bertrand, rather, of Garigou is a Dominican saint, as usual. You know, when Joe lets me loose, I'm going to pick a Dominican saint. Bertrand was a secular priest under the Cistercians, a missionary and an ardent opponent of the Albigensians when he first met St. Dominic and the party of Bishop Diego. 
Bertrand, have, having been one of the, the one to recruit Dominic in the battle against the French heretics because they worked closely together in this mission for the rest of their lives. Bertrand joined the first Dominican friars by receiving the habit at Toulouse in 1216. Dominic left him in charge of the community when he traveled to Rome to seek papal approval of the order. Bertrand's zeal and experience played an important role in the founding of the friar preachers. When the brothers were sent out in little groups on missions, Bertrand was left in Paris with Matthew of France, where he helped to form the Dominican tradition of learning and governed the first foundation at Paris. While Bertrand's advice and prayers helped to establish the order, he is best remembered as the closest friend and traveling companion of St. Dominic. Until he was appointed as provincial of the province, he witnessed the miracles and heavenly favors bestowed upon his friend and provided us with insightful testimony about the heart and mind of the founder. Bertrand himself was credited with many miracles, both during his life and after his death. Others considered him a second Dominic, an austerity, an austerity and humbleness, but he humbly overlooked his own claims to sanctity and his loving insistence on those of his friend. Bertrand was preaching a mission at the Cistercian Sisters of St. Mary of the Woods near Garigou when he fell sick and died. He was buried in the Sisters' Cemetery until the frequency of miracles suggested that he should be given a more suitable shrine. His relics were lost and shrine destroyed during the religious wars, but pilgrimages were still made to St. Bertrand's Cemetery until the time of the French Revolution. He was born in the Diocese of Nîmes, France in 1195 and died in 1230 in La Bouche and his cultus was confirmed by Pope Leo XIII in 1881. Blessed Bertrand of Garigou, pray for us. The Gospel of the Day is from Luke chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. On a certain Sabbath, Jesus went into the synagogue and taught, and there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely to see if he could cure on the Sabbath so that they might discover a reason to accuse him. But he realized their intentions, and said to the man with the withered hand, Come up and stand before us. And he rose and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath rather than to do evil, to save life rather than to destroy it? Looking around at them all, he, said, he then said to them, Stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was restored. But they became enraged and discussed together, what they might do to Jesus. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to Jesus Christ, and thank you very much to verboom.com forward slash grn for allowing us to uh, go into the scripture passages today. And it was quite it was a great passage, excellent passage. Let me read to you a quote real quick from Cornelius Alapide on what he had to say about this. And they were filled with madness, deprived of understanding, they could not answer him a word. They were filled with anger because they could not gainsay the reasoning of Christ. And with envy at the Syriac renders it, which was the cause of their madness. Their eyes were blinded so they could not see the truth. Hence, Francis Lucas adds, they commended one with another what they might do with Jesus, how they might make a way with him. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. The people, the Pharisees, the scribes, it's crazy because they recognized the power of Christ. They saw the power of Christ, and yet they denied him still. They witnessed with their eyes. And here's an interesting point. What does Cornelius Lapide say? He says, they could not gainsay the reasoning 
of Christ, the reasoning of Christ. Our faith is not one of, of a blind faith. It's not this faith that we see with, like, for instance, the Mohammedans, the Saracens, the Muslims. They have this idea that's fundamental to Islamic theology. Now, of course, there are uh, Islamic philosophers today that exist, but at the time, the idea behind Islam was that the people, that God's power was so separated that it was not anything that we could predict. What does that mean? That means if Muhammad's God decided one day that evil is good and good is evil, he could do that. And even the Quran, it says that, that Allah wills that other people do not practice the true faith. We would say, no, that is impossible of God. Why is that impossible of God? Because God cannot contradict himself. God is omnipotent. What does that mean? That means he can do all possible things. There is a logic. There is a reasoning to God. There's a reasoning to the things that he does. This is why we see in scripture, whenever our Lord is, uh, is referred to in John chapter one, verse one, uh, in the beginning was the word and the word is with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What is, what is being said here? What is the word in Greek? The word is logos. Logos. What is the logos? The logos is the reasoning or the word. There's not a great translation of it in the English language, but one of the best translations is the word logos, is the word reasoning. It is the reasoning of God. It is the wisdom of God. It is the word of God. All these things kind of take little bites at what, what is being said here. And so the reasoning of Christ, when we try to apply logic, and we see this in our daily lives, what happens when we see the demonic activity, these demonic influences, I'm thinking of the transgender movement, the uh, the homosexual movement, all this diabolical confusion. What happens when you start showing forth the reason their eyes become blind and they cannot see the truth? And we see this over and over again, because what happens whenever you're and steeped in sin? Well, when you're steeped in sin, your reason is destroyed. It's said by St. Thomas Aquinas that when you are in a state of mortal sin, your will is weakened and your intellect is darkened. You're not able to think clearly and your will becomes weak and you fall into greater and greater sin, which is why we should go to confession as soon as possible after committing a mortal sin because sin begets sin. This is very important. Now, what's the other point that he makes here? It says, and with envy, which was the cause of their madness. Okay, so what is being said here? So they starts off, they're deprived of their understanding. Because they do not have the reason. They are hearing the reasons. They're getting the logic. They're receiving that from Christ. They're receiving the truth. They're witnessing the truth firsthand. But out of envy. And what is envy? We kind of think envy as like a jealousy. As like, oh, I want that. I really, I really want that. No, but an envy. No, an envy is actually worse than that. See, jealousy is like if you see a car drive by and you're like, man, I really want that car. No, envy is worse than that. Envy is if you see someone drive by in a nice car and you're like, I wish that he did not have that car because I don't have that car. Because, and then envy goes even further and destroys. It destroys. So it'd be like if that same guy drives by with the car and you came at it with the bat and started destroying it. Why did you destroy it? Not out of some kind of, uh, like you just didn't like the car because you did not want someone else to have it. It's kind of the attitude of if I can't have it, then no one can. And that's what these is happening here. The envy blinds you. It drives you to madness. And that's why envy is such a deadly, deadly sin. Because if we allow ourselves to be overtaken by envy, we hate what is good. And we recognize, and there's a spiritual envy that, ha- that you can be had. And so think about it this way. Have you ever seen someone 
who is so holy. And you look at them and you, you're like, oh, I hate that holiness. And you don't maybe not say it consciously, but you dislike someone. Why do you dislike them? Well, maybe it's because they're holy and it causes in you, I wish I could desire that holiness. I wish I could be that holy. And instead of using that desire for holiness and that desire and recognition of the good in that person, instead of recognizing that and taking it and imitating it, instead, there becomes a hatred for it. And that's when the sin comes in. Whenever you say, because that person is good, I I distaste them. I despise them. And we see this with our Lord. How often do we see the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Jews, the Gentiles, they see our Lord. They recognize that he is good. And because he is good, because he is without blame, they conspire against him. But yet, what do the, what do the good people say? What do the Gentiles say when they see our Lord and they are seeing him? They say, be merciful to me, for I'm a sinner. Heal my daughter. Recognize, I'm thinking of the woman who our Lord said, it is not good that a master give the food that belongs to the children to the dogs. And what does the lady say? She says, you are right. I am a dog. I am dirty. I'm disgusting. That's you and I. That's me. I am disgusting. I, a dog returns to his vomit, as the scripture says, the psalmist says, and that has I returned to my sin. And yet, what does she say after that? But doesn't even the dogs deserve the scraps? And so too, we should reproach our Lord that way in all humility, recognizing our sinfulness, recognizing that we are nothing in comparison to the glory of God fully alive. And so what do we do in response? Well, we should take on those things, take on those things that we have and throw them off, collect them and get rid of them, get rid of the envy, get rid of all of it and look, set our eyes on the cross, look to our Lord and do not be like the Pharisees and Sadducees who conspire against him. Do not have envy Instead, say, I desire that holiness and I will seek that holiness because it is in seeking that holiness, it is in seeking that holiness that you are able to enter into the kingdom of heaven because we have to be like our Lord. We have to imitate our Lord in his passion, in his death, in his death on the cross. We have to die to ourselves. If we are not to die to ourselves, we cannot live in new life. So take that with you. Thank you, Veriboom.com forward slash GRN. We're going to go to a break. And after the break, we will go into our interviews with Robert Riley and uh, Phil Lawler. So praise be to God. We'll see you on the other side. GloryandShine.com, a generous underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. GloryandShine.com is a Catholic family-owned company making a variety of personal care products ranging from lotions, soap bars, gift boxes, body mist, beard care, and more. At GloryandShine.com, they state their mission is to, quote, craft every product with deep intention while holding a vision of sharing the gospel. They are good for the body, mind, and soul, unquote. God love you, GloryandShine.com. Thank you again. The next National Men's March to End Abortion is Monday, November 15th in Baltimore. We will gather outside of a local abortion center and march to our rally point outside of the USCCB Fall Assembly. Men, it's time. Surely, if you're thinking about the reality, the horror, and the enormity of abortion, you have to be moved to do something. 
go to themensmarch.com for more information and commit to join us on November 15th in Baltimore. Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca, producer of the Catholic Drive Time Show. Heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central and 7 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations, offering their clients a faith-based experience. They are online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. He served as special assistant to the president and has director and and as the director of Voice of America. He was also senior advisor for information strategy to the Secretary of Defense and taught at National Defense University. He attended Georgetown University and the Claremont Graduate University and has published widely on American politics and morals, foreign policy, and classical musics. He's got many books. There's several I would like to actually talk about, for instance, America on Trial. But today uh, we are marking the anniversary because it was on this day in 2015 when he published May. Making Gay Okay, How Rationalizing Homosexual Behavior is Changing Everything, a conversation that may be difficult for young years, but an important one nonetheless. Uh, Thank you for being on our program, Mr. Riley. Oh, it's a delight to be with you. Thank you for having me on the anniversary, which you just informed me of. Well, praise be to God. We're grateful for your time. Um, Let's talk about, uh, in some ways, we were curious about All of these years have elapsed when you wrote this book. At the time this book was published, the country was debating uh, homosexual marriage. And now that ship has sailed. And now let's fast forward into the future, and we wonder if some of your predictions, some of your your conclusions in the book have come true. Did you feel like you nailed it? Do you feel like you need to revise things? Let's start there. How do you think all about your, your premise all these years later? Well, first of all, A second edition of the book came out in paperback, which had an additional chapter on the Obergefell decision, Mm. which was the one which uh, solidified the supposed constitutional right to homosexual so-called marriage. And in that, uh, as a consequence of that, there were already enforcement mechanisms in certain of the states to punish bakers and florists and uh, videographers who weren't willing to comply with the uh, sanctification of sodomy and marriage. And so it was all foreseeable. Um, Once, as the book states early on, once you separate sex from diapers, you you see um, a road to disaster opening before you in which all of this can be predicted because there are no natural breakers along the path. Um, If sex is not unitive and procreative in its essence, Mm. then there's no reason not to use it for aberrant purposes. And um, now, of course, we've reached the extreme of transgenderism uh, in which people are physically disfiguring themselves 
and chemically altering themselves in, in order to pretend they're of a different sex. And now we know uh, transhumanism is just around the corner already with us. All predictable, all logical, only the premise is insane. And that, that's problem. brilliant because, you know, I was thinking about this whenever I was reading your book and in it, you talk about the origins going back to, and, and Protestants have a really hard time understanding this, but they, they, so Protestants often miss the origins of the homosexual movement dating back. I would go all the way to Casti Canubi with Pius XI and ending with 1930s Lambeth Conference whenever the Anglicans allowed contraception. From there, we had no fault divorce and they were off to the races and now we're just falling down that slippery slope. That's right. And, yeah. and and so whenever you take that logic and you run with it, this origin, I'm thinking of, of uh, Dr. Um, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting his name, uh, Aristotle's Revenge and having this uh, be a battle against modern philosophies. You're talking about the transgender movement, the transhumanism movement. Could you explain the that origin, that battle right there between uh, competing uh, anthropologies? Well, I think it's a battle between, you know, my great professor in graduate school at what was still called the uh, Claremont Graduate School was Harry Jaffa, who was one of the greatest defenders of natural law in the United States. I sent him a copy of Making Gay Okay. He was in his 90s. His, uh, his eyes were so bad he couldn't read it. But he said, Bob, the whole thing is the victory of history over nature. This represents the victory of history over nature. Mm. What did Dr. Jaffa mean? He meant that nature is teleological. That is, it's the view of human beings that we're ordered to certain ends that uh, bring about our flourishing if they are properly pursued and we become more fully human, we become what we ought to be. Uh, and, and this is true overall for the purpose, our purpose as human beings, but it's also more, it's also specific to various organs in our body. When people get very puzzled about, well, what's this? Isn't this a, some Catholic atomist thing about, uh, um, natural law, well, you know, it seems to be a modern-day mystery. And I say to them, well, <clears throat> have you ever had trouble with your eyes? More likely than not, yes. Well, what do you, how do you know you're having trouble? Well, I'm not seeing so well. Oh, so you think your eyes should see. <laughs> Yeah. Well, 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 yes, I see with my eyes. I think, all right, if they're not seeing well, then you, you, you see a problem. And to whom do you go? Do you go to your grocer or the butcher? Well, don't be silly. Of course not. I go to an ophthalmologist. Well, why would you go to, to an ophthalmologist? Well, because they've studied the eye, and they know what impediments may keep the eye from seeing well as it ought by its nature to see. And with their... Um, their skill and their medical learning, they may restore my eye uh, to sight. Mm. I said, oh, natural law. <laughs> That's natural law. And the same thing with your ear and the other organs of your body. They have a purpose, and, and the purpose is inherent. They have a telos. They have an end. And so you know what perfect sight is. 
And when your site is less than perfect, uh, the term Aristotle used is that it's it's corrupt. Um, you bring that point up on, in a couple places. At the very beginning, you bring that up in regards to the principle of non-contradiction, and you also bring this up in, when you talk about your chapter, Sodomy and Science. And could you talk about that? Well, this is part of it, because this is a natural law aspect of science uh, about how our bodies function. And it's once you get below the waist that people seem to get confused, you know, oh, what could these be for, you know, this, <laughs> but, but it's very clear what they're for. They're for generation and unitive uh, relationships between a husband and a wife that can result in new life. And if people are having trouble conceiving, what do they do? They go to one of the many fertility clinics that are dotted that have dotted the American landscape. Why would they go there? Because those doctors know that our sexual organs are aimed at reproduction, and if they are incapable of conception, that there's there's something wrong with them. They're, as Aristotle would say, corrupt in a way, and perhaps they can be healed, repaired, so the couple can conceive a child. So that's, that's no mystery there. Now, you're asking me about the chapter on sodomy and science is simply laying out how uh, a phony science was created to reinforce the rationalization for homosexual behavior. And the American Psychological Association in the diagnostic manual, homosexual behavior was um, listed as a profound disorder. And the homosexual movement knew they had to change that. They had to get them to revoke it, otherwise getting the general public to accept the homosexual cause as a healthy, wonderful thing uh, would be very difficult because here is science saying, no, no, it's, it's a profound psychological disorder. So they waged a campaign and through sheer political muscle, and the infiltration of the association by homosexuals, the incoming president at the time was a practicing homosexual, they succeeded in changing the definition. The definition was not the result of any scientific studies that proved it to be the case that it was no longer a disorder. It was simply done by fiat, and some uh, members of the association who were themselves homosexual objected that it ought not to have been done this way. If such a change was going to be made, it should have been on the basis of science and sun studies that were never undertaken. So, um, you know, what the book is really about, again, taking from Aristotle, is the powers of rationalization Mm -hmm. and how they work when you choose as the defining action of your life, something that is morally disordered. Just as if you were going to become a professional thief, you need to come up with a a rationalization for robbing people that turns robbery into a a moral good. (laughs) You can do 
more good with their belongings than they can, so it's okay for you to expropriate them, et cetera, et cetera. And we all, we all know, we don't have to talk about this, we all rationalize when we do something wrong. We've all done something wrong, so we, we, we are familiar with it. However, most of us later realize that we've done something wrong, are contrite for it, try to make restitution, admit that we have violated the moral order, and thus the moral order is restored and life continues. But with a permanent rationalization, that is, I am going to live my life in a so-called, in a sodomitical so-called marriage, I need a permanent rationalization that justifies uh, the act of sodomy on a more permanent basis. And I have to do this not only for myself, that I see this as a positive good. I need everyone else to agree with this rationalization. Otherwise, they become potential sources of rebuke that might awaken my conscience, Mm. in which case all this guilt will come crashing in on me. So I have to to prevent this from happening. I, Napoleon said, I must conquer to survive. Praise be to Jesus Christ. We are going to be right back. We're going to head to a break and we'll finish up this interview with Robert Riley on the other side of the break on make his book, Making Gay Okay. If you want to hear the rest of this interview, we're going to be right back after this short break and uh, finish out that interview with Robert Riley on his book, Making Gay Okay. Excellent interview. You won't want to miss that. And we'll be heading to a break. And remember, this is a pre-recorded show. We're not in the studio. We'll be back tomorrow morning with our regularly scheduled live programming. So God bless you, God love you, and we'll see you on the other side. Atheists sometimes attack religion by saying it's a crutch for the weak-minded. They'll say, religion is for those who can't think for themselves. Does this objection justify atheism? The answer is no, and here are some reasons why. First, the objection is not an argument against theism. It's merely an assertion. Someone's use of religion as a crutch says nothing whether or not God exists. Second, what's wrong with using a crutch if one is deficient? If you break your leg, using a crutch is actually the smart thing to do. As fallen human beings, our intellects are weakened. Consequently, it's not unreasonable to acknowledge we need help from God in our journey back to Him. So, a believer's appeal to religion for direction in life is not a sign of intellectual weakness. It's actually the intelligent thing to do. That is, if the religion is true. I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers. Catholic.com Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca, producer of the Catholic Drive Time Show. Heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central and 7 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations, offering their clients a faith-based experience. They are online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. all 
this guilt will come crashing in on me. So I have to, pre I have to pre prevent this from happening. I, Napoleon said, I must conquer to survive. He knew he was an illegitimate ruler because he came to power through a coup d'etat. Mm. So he had to legitimate his rule through conquest. He was driven to conquest. There was no natural end, let us say, uh, to his lust for conquest. Now, the, the homosexual movement or the transhumanism, all of them operate according to that same underlying uh, psychological drive. They, they know in their heart of hearts that they are legitimate, illegitimate. Mm -hmm. And they must conquer to survive. And that's why they're animated with such energy. Because after all, let's admit, they're up against reality. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's very interesting you bring that point up. I'm thinking of a great analogy given by Professor Plinio in Revolution Counter-Revolution. He says, the revolution is like a bicycle. You get on it and you can balance only for so long before you fall over. You have to keep momentum for it to keep moving forward or else you'll fall over. And that's the revolution, whether it's a sexual revolution, the homosexual revolution, or otherwise, or if it's uh, or if it's the French revolution, it's all the same. In the same sense, uh, I was thinking of, while you were speaking, of humility versus pride. You know, they call themselves the, the pride movement, and they have these pride parades and all these things, as opposed to humility, which Thomas Aquinas, in relation to uh, rationality, talks about, you know, humility is conforming your mind to reality. But I was reading a review of your book by Ben Crenshaw, and he said, uh, quote, in order for this deception to succeed, there can be no dissent. Any objection to the rationalized lifestyle that would threaten to undo it must be silenced. For the con conscience of others expressed through reasoned argumentation and presentation functionally act as a collective and public conscience condemning the immoral lifestyle of the rationalizer. Uh, can you speak about that idea of humility versus pride and the uh, and rationalization. Well, that's it. There, there is, uh, as you know, Pride Day. There's Pride Month. Uh, you'll maybe startled by this, but our embassy in Kabul, Afghanistan, was flying the Pride flag in yeah. June, yeah, and put a Pride message and a photo of the flag on its Twitter feed. They might better have been concentrating on issues like their own survival. But no, this is the rationalization is more important than even your survival. Now, <clears throat> the curious thing is that that sodomy is the only vice with bragging rights. Mm. People parading about it, heads of corporations. Uh, 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 speaking of the gift of homosexuality in their lives, um, what other vice can you think of that has bragging rights? Alcoholics have an organization called Al Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> it's precisely because it, they, they don't wish to be known. They have a 10-step program in which they admit they're out of control and now must entirely rely upon God's grace to confront their situation and return to sobriety. There is, the, the, speaking of humility, there's the great uh, organization called Courage, which is trying to help homosexuals and has helped homosexuals I know who wish to uh, live chaste lives. Uh, 
Many people in our culture today think, well, oh, see, that's discriminating. You're trying to put that huge burden on these people without realizing we're all called to lead chaste lives. Chastity is an obligation in marriage for the heterosexual uh, single man or woman. Chastity is a virtue. It is incumbent upon all of us to practice. So this organization, again, calls uh, men who were active homosexuals to humility and to uh, spiritual practices and fellowship that will help them lead good Christian chaste lives. Uh, Humility, as you just pointed out, is simply the admission of truth. And the rationalization is premised upon the promulgation of a lie. I want to give you an example if we have time. Occasionally I've gotten into online exchanges with homosexuals, and they're really very revealing into how the rationalization works. Do we have a moment to do this? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Here's one. I say, this is all online, typing back and forth to each other. I say, homosexuals cannot physically consummate a marriage, which means and has always meant coital sex. Isn't that obvious? How could you possibly deny it? The homosexual answers, you ask how anyone could possibly deny that homosexuals are unable to consummate a marriage? It's easy. The word consummate flexes a little, just as the word marriage has done. Consummation means something slightly different for a gay couple than for a straight one. Does it matter? Do we even need the word consummation in a gay marriage? So I say simply call a giraffe, a donkey, and voila, it becomes one. Magic, just like homosexual marriage. He answers, yep, that's more or less the way it works. (laughs) Now, there was another exchange with someone which I think is really, uh, I I also say to this particular person, but you obviously cannot deny that the purpose of the semen is to fertilize the egg. He responds, yes, I can deny that. I just did. Wow. (laughs) Well, I'm very annoyed I couldn't find the last part of that little dialogue with (laughs) homosexual because what he did is simply say, Uh, that indeed nature has no purposes any more than does the universe have a purpose. Oh, wow. So the, in other words, the ultimate rationalization for homosexual behavior is the purposelessness of our existence. Mm. So indeed, if it is purposeless, we basically could do anything we want because nothing matters. Who is master? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's. So tell me about the impact. Uh, it seems like there are many areas, and you've mentioned a few already in this conversation, where heterosexuals seemingly embrace a hook, line, and sinker, so to speak, uh, of the gay agenda, and how it has sort of permeated into their life without them even maybe thinking about it or even acknowledging it, and yet they seem to be influenced by that. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, it, well, first of all, the homosexual population in the United States is 
is very small. Some pay 2%, maximum 3%. How is it that a little group like this could have such an outsized influence? The answer to the question is, is that the rationalization in which they are engaged for homosexual behavior is the same rationalization in which heterosexuals are engaged for their misbehavior. Mm. If you see what I mean, the um, be, because of the widespread, um, you know, adultery or sex outside of marriage, sex without marriage, the serial polygamy. Serial polygamy, the massive ingestion of the vilest pornography. <clears throat> How do people justify that to themselves? They have to engage in a rationalization about the purposelessness of sex so it can be reduced to simply a titillation or an entertainment. And then, of course, it becomes something much more vicious than that and self-destructive. Now, when they find a homosexual saying, well, we find our entertainment and titillation in a slightly different way than you. What would a heterosexual who misbehaves have to, what, on what grounds would he object to their misuse of sex? He doesn't have any. And in fact, if he did object to homosexual behavior, he would endanger his own misbehavior. So it, they are natural allies. Therefore, every aberrant form of sex uh, supports every other aberrant form of sex. It's, it's, it, it works like if you support the rationalization for my sexual misbehavior, I'll support the rationalization for your sexual misbehavior, and the group grows and becomes very influential. That's why you find all kinds of people marching in these pride parades. And then it's, it's been shown by various sociologists and others that heterosexuals uh, have, have now, uh, to a greater degree, themselves engaged in homosexual practices or in sodomy. Uh, why not? Let's, let's try something different, you know, today. Uh, there, there, there are They've abandoned any moral stricture against it. And uh, so you're right, exactly, that has spread. We'll be right back after this short break. Don't go anywhere. The rest of this interview on Making Gay Okay with Robert Riley is going to be on after this short break. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this short break. God love you. See you on the other side. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. What is a fanatic? Well, have you ever heard someone defending animal rights as if they have completely forgotten about human rights? G.K. Chesterton says that is a perfect example of a fanatic. Someone with a sense of a particular truth that is too strong for his sense of the universal truth. He will invoke even cruelty to prevent cruelty to animals. Later, he may even invoke cruelty to animals to prevent cruelty to pit ponies. It is not merely that he has kept one thing and lost a thousand things. He has lost the basis even of the one thing. 
for a man cannot long remain right without a reason. We must accept all the universal truths so that we don't go off balance with one particular truth. And where do we find the perfect balance of all universal truths? In the Catholic Church. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org. Hi, Joe McLean here, host of the Catholic Drive Time, heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, right here. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of the Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations. Real Estate for Life offers their clients a faith-based experience. Real Estate for Life is online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. Let's, let's try something different, you know, today. Uh, they're, they're, they've abandoned any moral stricture against it. And uh, so you're right, exactly, that has spread. What about the uh, what about the issues within the church on the topic as well? I mean, it's interesting. Maybe only ten years ago, it would be hard sometimes to find a bishop to commit to, like, say, the pro life cause. You know, publicly they would be on. They would not want to speak too boldly on that. Now we see many, many bishops speaking boldly on that. Praise be to God. Um, but when it comes to the homosexuality issue, uh, there seems to be quite a confusion within the church and many in the hierarchy itself. Uh, don't like they don't want to touch it with a ten foot pole, right? It's that third rail, so they they avoid the difficulties, the pitfalls. But uh, also, I think confusion is sown in that. What say you about that issue, Robert Riley? Well, I think the church is still suffering from the problems of the pink palaces when uh, there there was a large homosexual population in our seminaries, and a number of those seminarians were ordained, and a number of them later became bishops, so they are compromised. Mm. This is no secret. This, this is part of the scandal in the church. Um, the vast majority of the sexual misbehavior that was uncovered is they, they of course, try to rename it as something else, but the vast majority of it is homosexual behavior. Um, and it was, um, it, it, it was uh, you know, smoke inside the church it was um and it takes courageous bishops even today to insist on the teaching of the church archbishop cordelione in san francisco made it very clear to the catholic schools in his um, archdiocese that you will teach uh catholic doctrine on human sexuality And I asked him when I had the occasion to have dinner with him, uh, how did that, how, Your Excellency, how did that go over? And he said, well, some of the parents complain. <laughs> I said, the parents of the children in your schools complain? And he looked at me, he said, yes, of course. What schools do you think they went to? <laughs> yeah. So everyone has been corrupted to some extent by this culture. And it is... 
these brave men in the church, like Archbishop Cordelione, or like our own bishop in the Arlington Diocese, mm. that are faithful, solid, and the, the, the priests in this diocese are absolutely the finest I've experienced in my long life as a Catholic. We're very, very blessed here. So, uh, yeah, we, well, there's a lot to to be encouraged by in that respect. But the the thing is, you know, you have to, <clears throat> they're the last, the church is the last man standing. The homosexual movement has taken down every other uh, institution of American public life. And the reason I was incited to write Making Gay Okay is when they insisted that the military Mm. Uh, bow before it, and having served in the military and having a son in the Marine Corps and having worked in the Pentagon as a civilian, I be I be, when I I I saw the film of Leon Panetta on Pride Day with his unctuous voice congratulating all the LGBTQ who have made great contributions. Uh, and by the way, that doesn't mean I have no doubt that some homosexuals have fought courageously for the United States, uh, as I do that there are some fine alcoholics who fought courageously for the United <laughs> States. But I for don't sure. think we call them out from the Pentagon auditorium stage and yeah. say, let's acknowledge the contribution of our fine alcoholics. So when and, and we knew what that meant. We knew the LGBT uh, agenda was going to be foisted upon our military as it now has been and i was i was simply outraged by that because i knew what it would do in undermining military morale and that's what led me to write the book in that time the military was the last institution or the next to last institution yeah. standing now the only institution standing is the church and thank god for it that this is still a place in which the truth can be told. Sometimes it's spoken very softly, but it's still there. It's our bedrock. <clears throat> and they'll, um, I returned to, to public life in the government for a short period at the end of last year and the beginning of this year, um, something I had never, ever intended to do because of the books I've written I knew they would exclude me from, from public life in, in the government, which was fine with me. I'd had quite enough of that. But a friend asked me to come back as, as uh, director of the Voice of America for a short period. And I warned him. I said, you know what will happen if I do this? All hell will break loose. Yeah. He said, I know. And it did. The liberal press, NPR, the Washington Post, the New York Times, went absolutely nuts <laughs> but this homophobe this hater this person was allowed in such a public position to represent america this cannot be allowed uh i'm a dangerous person i must be removed uh and ultimately i was when biden came in and i was frog marched out of the building by security <laughs> but the thing is these are not permissible they're not allowed and they um, they have enforcement mechanisms in place to punish people. Um, 
to crush their careers or to make them socially unacceptable. So um, uh, Catholics, faithful Catholics are going to have Thomas More moments in their lives. It's coming, isn't it? It's coming, where they're, yeah. they're going to be uh, challenged to either uh, tell the truth or participate in the lie. Now, I, I don't want to sound too despondent because the great news is that you can't fool Mother Nature. <laughs> and reality uh, reality will win this one. It's just a matter yeah. of how much damage is done in the interim. Aristotle's and, revenge. Yeah, and that's you know going to be up to us to an extent by insisting on this reality. Well, let us pray for those uh, four unfortunate souls that are buying this false version of reality, that they may have a conversion of heart. Let's pray for prevenient graces to flow here. But we are out of time. Uh, it reminds me of this conversation of Isaiah 520. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Robert Riley, thank you for your time today. The book is uh, a good one, Making Gay Okay, How Rationalizing Homosexual Behavior is Changing Everything. It's published by Ignatius Catholic Press, which is Ignatius.com. And we encourage everyone to check it out. It's a, it's a tough read, but a very important one at that. Uh, Robert Riley, God bless you. God love you, and have a great day. Bless you. Thank you so much. Praise be to Jesus Christ. That was a wonderful interview. Praise be to God. And uh, yes, there's a couple points that we didn't get to get to because we ran out of time with uh, Robert Riley. So we'll definitely have to get him on in the future to talk about his other books as well about America and the founding of America, whether or not we're... The, he kind of holds a position that the uh, the founding fathers were not all Freemasons, which is very interesting. But a couple points that we didn't get to get to was one thing, the sodomy in California. That went up for a vote multiple times. I believe it was three times, and it was not. It was knocked down three times. It shows you how unpopular the sodomite marriages were, how they failed three times in trying to get it pushed through. And yet, how did it get pushed through? Through the Supreme Court. Because we talked about, uh, we didn't get to talk about this either, was a walk through the institutions. How the homosexual movement walked through the institutions and was able to slowly and methodically take over them, including the Supreme Court. He has a whole chapter dedicated to the Supreme Court and how they took over that in a very, very short manner. Uh, another couple points that we didn't get to get to was the, how it, the, how they do it in the media. He, I wanted to talk about this in particular because we see it all over the place. It is disproportionate of how many people uh, are homosexuals in TV shows and movies versus how many are in a society. They're about 2% of all society, and yet they are in almost every movie, TV show, and everything. We got the Pride Month where we see we uh, the NFL came out saying football is gay. Ford came out and made a gay raptor. And uh, th all these things, all these things, taking over the media, a walk through the institutions. Another great point that we did not get to talk to. How did we get to this point? Uh, one interview that we might be setting up in the future is about Alfred Kinsey. If you've never heard of this man, 
Uh, he is a diabolical man who is one of the architects of the modern sexual revolution and w- in response to the, the walk through the institutions with the homosexual movement. A lot of the statistics that we receive about the homosexual movement come from Alfred Kinsey. All these things, very interesting topics that we would love to cover. And we're looking for guests on all these different topics. But we are out of time. So praise be to God. Thank you very much for tuning in with us today. And we will get back live tomorrow morning because today we are not in studio we are actually doing a pre-recorded show right now and that's what you're listening to but in the next hour no game show don't call in but we will have a saint of the day gospel of the day and a gospel reflection and uh tomorrow we will have here we'll be back in the studio live to do our regularly scheduled programming and we'll have a live show a live game show so tune in tomorrow to call in and we'll take your call and we'll participate in the game show as usual but thank you very much so if you want to get more information or sign up for our email list go to grnonline.com forward slash cdt that's grnonline.com forward slash cdt to get all the information about the show to tune in online to sign up for our email list get all that insider stuff online at grnonline.com forward slash cdt we'll see you back tomorrow morning same time same place across the guadalupe radio network and station of the cross so god bless you and we will see you tomorrow at 6 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Eastern, and we will see you there. And God love you, God bless you, and have a great and blessed Monday. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. In Romans chapter 3, it says that none is righteous and that all have sinned. But the Catholic Church teaches that Mary is without sin. How can that be? Romans 3 verse 10 says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Yet James 5.16 says that the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. If absolutely no one is righteous, then who is James talking about? Luke chapter 1 says that Elizabeth and Zechariah were righteous before God. If absolutely no one is righteous, then how can that be? Is scripture contradicting itself? No, the folks who interpret Romans as saying absolutely without exception no one is righteous are misinterpreting that passage. They are failing to realize that the key to understanding Romans 3.10 is the phrase, it is written. Here in Romans, Paul is quoting from the Old Testament, Psalm 14 to be exact. In Psalm 14, it says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. There is none that does good. But then that same psalm goes on to talk about the righteous. Well, if none has done good, who are the righteous people the psalm is talking about? Obviously, when the psalmist says that none is good, he is talking about the fools who say there is no God. He is not talking about absolutely everyone. Just so Paul, when he quotes from this psalm. Paul is not saying absolutely no one is righteous. If he was, then how do you explain all the Old and New Testament passages that refer to the righteous? In Romans 3.11, it says that no one seeks for God. Does that mean that absolutely no one is seeking God? No, to interpret it that way would be ludicrous. Just so verse 23, which says that all have sinned. 
babies haven't sinned, have they? Little children haven't sinned, have they? No, this is not an absolute. There are exceptions. So it is perfectly legitimate to say that these passages from Romans, when interpreted in context, in no way conflict with the church's teaching on Mary being without sin. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. GloryAndShine.com, a generous underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. GloryAndShine.com is a Catholic family-owned company making a variety of personal care products ranging from lotions, soap bars, gift boxes, body mist, beard care, and more. At GloryAndShine.com, they state their mission is to, quote, craft every product with deep intention while holding a vision of sharing the gospel. They are good for the body, mind, and soul, unquote. God love you, GloryAndShine.com. Thank you again. Welcome to your Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. Now here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. This is your producer, Adrian Fonseca, and today is a pre-recorded show. We're going to do an interview with Phil Lawler in just a second, so no game show today, so don't call in. We'll be back tomorrow with our regularly scheduled live programming, so you can call in tomorrow and we'll give away a prize. But no game show today. Today's Labor Day, no show for Labor Day. Well, I mean, there's still a show. I mean, you're here, and we're here, but it's not live. It's pre-recorded. But Phil Lawler is going to be on in just a second, so we're going to jump in, do our prayer, do our Gospel of the Day, Saint of the Day, real quickly. We're going to do a shorter one so we can have a more full conversation with Phil Lawler, and we will go to break, and then we'll get back, and that'll be the show. So praise be to God. Let's get into it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known, that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee we come, before thee we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. And no breaking news of the day, no good news of the day. Instead, we'll go straight to the, to the gospel and saying of the day. The saint of the day is Blessed Bertrand of Garigou. Bertrand was a secular priest under the Cistercians missionaries and an ardent opponent of the Albigensians when he first met St. Dominic in the party of Bishop Diego. Bertrand may have been the one to recruit Dominic in the battle against the French heretics because they worked closely together in this mission for the rest of their lives. Bertrand joined the first Dominican friars by receiving the habit at Toulouse in 1216. Dominic left him in charge of the community where he traveled to Rome to seek papal approval of the order. Bertrand's zeal and experience played an important role in the founding of the Friar Preachers. When the brothers were sent out in little groups on mission, Bertrand was left in Paris with Matthew of France, where he helped to form the Dominican tradition of learning and governed the first foundation at Paris. While Bertrand's advice and prayers helped establish the order, he is best remembered as the closest friend and travel companion of St. Dominic until he was appointed as provincial of province. He witnessed the miracles and heavenly favors bestowed upon his friend and provided us with insightful testimony about the heart and mind of the founder. Bertrand himself was credited with many miracles, both during his life and after his death. Others considered him a second Dominic, in austerity and in holiness, but he humbly overlooked his own claims to sanctity 
and his loving insistence on those of his friend. Bertrand was preaching a mission at the Cistercian Sisters of St. Mary of the Woods near Garigou, where he fell sick and died. He was buried in the Sisters' Cemetery until the, frequent, the frequency of miracles suggested that he should be given a more suitable shrine. His relics were lost in the shrine destroyed during the religious wars, but pilgrims was, were still made St. Bertrand's still made to St. still made pilgrimages to St. Bertrand Cemetery until the French Revolution. He was born at Garigou in the Diocese of Nîmes, France, in 1195, and died in 1230 in La Bouche, France. He was beatified by his cultist was confirmed by Pope Leo the Thirteenth in 1881. The Gospel of the Day is Luke chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. On a certain Sabbath, Jesus went into the synagogue and taught, and there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely to see if he would cure on the Sabbath, so that they would discover a reason to accuse him. But he realized their intentions and said to them, said to the man with the withered hand, Come up and stand before us. And he rose and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath rather than to do evil, to save life rather than to destroy it? Looking around at them, he, said, he then said to him, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was restored. And they became enraged and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to God. No time to comment on the Gospel. Take this as an opportunity Trust God, love God, read the scriptures, come closer to him. When we get back, we'll be in our interview with Phil Lawler. God bless you. God love you. See you on the other side. Glorianshine.com, a generous underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Glorianshine.com is a Catholic family-owned company making a variety of personal care products ranging from lotions, soap bars, gift boxes, body mist, beard care, and more. At Glorianshine.com, they state their mission is to, quote, craft every product with deep intention while holding a vision of sharing the gospel. They are good for the body, mind, and soul, unquote. God love you, Glorianshine.com. Thank you again. The next National Men's March to End Abortion is Monday, November 15th in Baltimore. We will gather outside of a local abortion center and march to our rally point outside of the USCCB Fall Assembly. Men, it's time. Surely, if you're thinking about the reality, the horror, and the enormity of abortion, you have to be moved to do something. Go to themensmarch.com for more information and commit to join us on November 15th in Baltimore. Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca, producer of the Catholic Drive Time Show. Heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central and 7 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations, offering their clients a faith-based experience. They are online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. CatholicCulture.org. Uh, Phil, good morning. Thanks for hanging out with us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, praise be to God. It's good to have you back on. You've got a couple of blog posts on this particular topic. I read part of one the other day 
and and I wanted to have an opportunity to conversate with you. We've seen uh, as of last several months uh, a heating uh, and a debating, a schism even to some degree within the church, a divide happening right before our eyes, uh, and the biggest culprit may not be just tradition, it's more likely to be the vaccines and what the church teaches and doesn't teach about things like charity and vaccines and mandates and and whatnot. And I wanted to get your take on that. And so with that said, uh, how should we begin to even understand this concept? Well, there are different things in play here. There is the fact that all of the vaccines currently available in the United States were developed using one way or another uh, fetal tissues taken from abortion. And that is morally objectionable. The church has always taught and still teaches that is morally objectionable. There's no debate about that. There's also the uh, very strong pressure to get vaccinated in the belief that that is good for that that serves the common good because it will curb the spread of COVID. That is debatable, and it's being debated. And now we have a lot of statements from church authorities telling us that we as Catholics should be vaccinated. Uh, And in some cases, as in the Archdiocese of Chicago, insisting that all priests and church employees must be vaccinated. Uh, And to my mind, this is a clear violation. The, the, The compulsory violation is a clear violation, compulsory vaccination is a clear violation of what the church teaches and has always taught that vaccination must be voluntary. Mm. You know, Phil, I was uh, talking, I was looking at the, on Twitter and they were sharing this article from America Magazine. And in the article, they was talking about how the fact that we are required by pain of sin to get the vaccine. They said it is a sin of omission to not get the vaccine. And that shocked me because we don't talk about sin of omission at all anymore. No one talks about sin of omission. We barely talk about sin in general. Yet, if you decide not to get the vaccine, that can be a sin of omission? Can you speak on that? That's Frankly, that's outrageous. That's an outrageous abuse of the conscience of the individual. You have a right to decide for yourself what sort of medical treatment you want. You have a right to decide for yourself what is injected into your body. And you can make the argument that you should get vaccinated. That's a plausible argument. I understand that argument. I have no complaint with the people who decide that they should get vaccinated and do. I'm not arguing against them. I'm arguing against the people say it's compulsory because there is no way you can reconcile that with what the church teaches. In Chicago, Cardinal Supich is requiring vaccination, and he's citing a document from the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith at the Vatican. It's, I don't know that you would say it's an authoritative magisterial do- document, but it's the closest we have, and it applies specifically to COVID. And it says absolutely clearly it must be voluntary. To say that you are sinning by not doing something that's voluntary is is just a gross abuse of the conscience. And the thing that blows my mind is that these bishops, a lot of these bishops like Cardinal Supich and others, you know, they never stand up against 
uh, grave evils that are happening in the culture. They don't stand up against, they don't take a hard stand on almost anything. Yet, the vaccine issue, for some reason, like, I, I would never have guessed. If someone had told me five years ago, two years ago, that the issue that all the bishops would rally behind and start pushing was that they wanted everybody to get a vaccine for a virus. I would be shocked. So how is it that these, why do these bishops care so much about the vaccine? That's a good question. I can only speculate that it has something to do with their priorities and their priorities appear to be more along the lines of being seen as community leaders than as being true to the gospel and the perennial teachings of the church. Now, Obviously, there's a whole lot of public pressure for vaccination, a whole lot of of public encouragement at every level, in the government, in the big corporations, in the media, in academic life. Everyone is calling on you to be vaccinated. Uh, It would be countercultural to suggest otherwise. And yet, the church says you have a right to decide for yourself. And by the way, the bishop can tell you can set down principles of what is and is not moral. Uh, He cannot tell you what to do with your own medical care. He can't base his judgments on medical expertise because he doesn't have medical expertise. If you have a medical problem, you talk to your doctor, not to your pastor. That's Mm. appropriate. Uh, Your pastor can lay down guidelines. And in fact, the church has laid down guidelines in medical cases, for instance, saying that in the case of someone who is terminally ill, you don't have to take extraordinary means uh, to save a life when it really all you're doing is prolonging death. Now, what is extraordinary means? Well, that's up to you to decide. That's up to the caregiver, to the family, to the person who is suffering. It's not a decision that a pastor or much less a bishop can make. You have to make these decisions for yourself. And you have to decide for yourself whether uh, vaccination is good for you and good for the people around you. Bill Lawler is our guest, catholicculture.org. You should check it out. He's got a couple of great uh, articles over there on this topic that we're conversating Mm -hmm. about. But one of the things that that has really bugged me was our ability to even have the conversation. We're talking about this on a platform that is likely going to strike us yet again uh, because we dared to talk about vaccines. One of the last times we talked about vaccines was with Christopher Farrar from St. Thomas More Society about the legality of firing employees because they they choose not to get uh, vaccinated or they want uh, they, they pursue a religious exemption. And uh, our our hosts on the platform said, you're not allowed to say that. And they struck us. Now, what's interesting is I know people because they've been emailing me who listen to this show and they are in this very circumstance. They're losing their job because they're not vaccinated and they claim a religious exemption. And the response is, but your pope says otherwise. And then they don't recognize their religious exemption, leaving these people with the only choice of going to court, which costs tons of money and time, and very few people will have that opportunity. Uh, How do we respond when the hierarchy all the way up to the top seems to contradict what we are saying about our religious exemptions? Well, it's not the whole hierarchy. You will find bishops who are saying what I'm saying, which is that it doesn't have to be compulsory. You see the bishops in, that it mustn't be compulsory, rather. You see the bishops in Colorado saying that. You see the bishop in Spokane saying that. I think the bishop in, Archbishop in San Francisco is saying that. When you have a disagreement among bishops, 
It's legitimate. It is called probabilism for a good Catholic to decide which of those bishops makes more sense to him. But as for the question of authority, it is possible that the bishops in general think that this is a good vaccination is a good idea. Uh, That doesn't mean that you have to think it's a good idea. If you in conscience believe that you should not take the vaccine, which is my position. I do not believe that I could take a vaccine, this vaccine in good conscience. Now the church says very clearly to me, you cannot go against your conscience. It doesn't matter if the Pope says you can do it. If your conscience says you can't, you can't. So that is your religion telling you, you can't take the vaccine. So it seems to me that is material for religious exemption. If my conscience says I can't do it, my church says don't do it. If your conscience says you can't, well, then my church is telling me not to take the vaccine. And yet the only way to ensure that we have that opportunity is probably to go to court. And how many people will have that opportunity? I don't think very, very few people will actually take the time or nor have the, the financial resources to go to court to oppress their rights on this issue. And I think that basically what we're going to see is the mandates get in, get, they get what they want anyway at the end of the day. But here's what I see coming down the road, and I'd love for your comment on that. I see more schism and more division in the church. We have dioceses that say you have to be vaccinated, and we have dioceses that say you don't, and we're going to help you with those religious exemptions. Little Rock, uh, in your, you quote Little Rock in your most recent article, The Misuse of Church Authority on Vaccination over at CatholicCulture.org. A Little Rock is among the, the latest diocese to, to come out and say, we're not going to help. We're going to tell our priests they can't assist their parishioners. Um, do you see a day where this becomes a, a truly divisive, where there's going to be the, the, uh, the, the vaccine-mandated churches and then the non-vaccine-mandated churches? It kind of reminds me of the Aaron heresy of the early centuries. I, I don't see it going that way, although we have so much conflict and confusion in the church. I'm hesitant to make any prediction. I I can see uh, a a lot heavier conflict coming in in some dioceses, um, and I think that this will be one of the issues that provokes the controversy. But can I just go back and say something about why we got to this point? Because as I said at the outset, I think the first thing when I came on, I said the church has always taught that using vaccines, the vaccine, deriving vaccines through the use of fetal tissue is immoral. These are tainted, morally tainted vaccines. A year ago, more than a year ago, 18 months ago, I was saying, and I wasn't alone, we have to make sure that if a vaccine comes out, it is not developed by these immoral means. Where was the outcry then? from church leaders, where was their effort to organize a powerful voice and say, we're not going to take these vaccines if they are derived immorally? Or now the church teaches, and this is quite clear in anything you get from the Vatican from 2005 through today, that these vaccines, if you take them under duress, if you take them because you feel it's a grave necessity, you still have a moral obligation to object to the way they were derived and to ask the pharmaceutical companies to produce vaccines morally. Where are the outcries? Where are the bishops telling us, Exactly. okay, you may get vaccinated, but after you get vaccinated, make sure your voice is heard. And here's how, and we'll organize. Where is that voice? 
Yeah, it's. I, I was just making this point. I think it was yesterday. Um, you know, we have an obligation to say we need uh, therapies and and medicines that don't involve the aborted fetal the the babies lost in abortion, and uh, and we, as you just said, we're almost seeing no outcry for whatsoever. However. Uh, we are we do have access to therapies that have nothing to do with the abortion industry. Uh, these medicines that have been proven by these doctors working these cases in the ERs and ICUs and hospitals all over planet Earth. And they've become so politicized, these particular therapies, that I can tell you firsthand when we call pharmacies near our home to try to obtain these from our, our doctor's prescription, we are told, no, you can't have those you have the vaccine instead. I mean, there's no downside to these therapies. They can't harm you otherwise, but they might be able to help you. In fact, they've proven to do so. And doctors ask for them and pharmacists are saying, no, we aren't going to fill these these prescriptions. It seems <laughs> like diabolical confusion to me. At I'm every hearing level. the same thing. And I'm hearing from friends who have asked for who have prescriptions from doctors, go to a pharmacy and the pharmacist pharmacist refuses to fulfill the prescription uh, because he thinks it's being used against COVID and he's no doubt he's right. Uh, but you know, if a pharmacist refuses to, to fulfill a prescription for the morning after birth control pill, which is an abortifacient, he's going to lose his license. So how is this? This it, it, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a pharmacist. I'm not a scientist, but I see in this, uh, tremendous, uh, well, it's an abuse of science too, because we're being told not to listen to some medical evidence, only to listen to some other medical evidence, only to produce a certain kind of remedy, et cetera. It's troubling. Um, it's to me, the confusion at every level seems very diabolical. It seems very interesting why we were, as you said earlier, Adrian, why this issue? Why do they rally behind this issue? Uh, as far as I know, 99% still, according to the official statistics, uh, still survive this. And yet this is the issue that we are going full court press on to the, I mean, even in Australia, the lockdowns in Australia, incredibly draconian. Um, do you see that diabolical layer to this or is that stretching too far? I don't think it's stretching too far. I think it's it's evidence of a loss of faith. And, you know, uh, Chesterton said, when you stop believing in God, you don't believe in nothing, you believe in everything. And I think we have a susceptible population now. Uh, you know, in, in my new book that came out earlier this year, Contagious Faith, I made the argument that we are living in a climate of fear, and fear is being sold to us at uh every opportunity through the media, particularly, we're told we should be fearful, we should be fearful, we should be afraid of this, afraid of that. COVID is wonderful for those who are selling fear. And uh, faith is an antidote to fear. And faith is something that builds you, it builds your confidence because you're not so frightened to death of death. You know, you're, you're not so afraid of death that you forget to live and live morally. So what do we do? Where do we go from here? as Catholics, and an uncertain future that's coming our way, especially from just a Catholic perspective. The diocese we may live in may be on one side of this issue that we find ourselves personally on the opposite. How do we as Catholics uh, 
how do we deal with this? How do we manage this? Do we move? Do we get up and move to a different diocese? What say you, Phil Lawler? <laughs> I have on occasion told people you need to move to a new diocese or a new parish because if you can't find spiritual sustenance where you are, you need to get it somewhere. You have to have a home base where you can re rely on the church to give you the spiritual nourishment that you need. But I don't think most people need to move. I think most people need to make sure that their pastors and their bishops understand what's going on, that their pastors and their bishops understand that we are not going to accept another lockdown of the churches, that they understand it's one thing to say you should get vaccine, but don't try to tell me that I must get a vaccine on the basis of a document that says it can't be compulsory. Mm. What about the aspect of supernatural courage? You're a guy who's written a ton on church scandals going all the way back. We discussed that last time you were on the show. I particularly am very fond of your book, The Lost Shepherd and Smoke of Satan. I, I really enjoy these books. I find them to be exceedingly well-written and researched and insightful. Thank you. And we've seen too many occasions of a lack of supernatural courage on behalf of the shepherds of our church. Do you see this as one of those? Do you? I, I kind of feel like this is just one more opportunity where we are going along to get along with the world rather than having this supernatural faith that surpasses all understanding. Would you include this issue in that or no? Absolutely. And I think that our pastors and our bishops need to feel the encouragement, the prayerful encouragement of the laity. I think that they need to hear from us and hear from us that we expect them to take a brave stand, uh, that we will admire them and support them if they take a brave stand, because they know they're going to catch all sorts of flack from one side if they take a stand against the dominant secular culture. They have to know that they will also get a lot of praise and a lot of support. And that they have to know that if they're out on the front lines, they won't be out there alone. In fact, there will be some of us out there ahead of them. They have to know that. That's a message we have to give them. So I, I want to tie up in the last few minutes here of our conversation. I want to tie in the Traditions Custodis uh, layer mm -hmm. to the current difficulties we have in the church between hierarchy and faithful and et cetera, et cetera. So I, as I said already, I see this schism growing. I see the division growing. And now we see especially this, uh, this uh, document put out by um, Pope Francis on, on tradition and seeming a heavy, heavy hand on traditionally-minded Catholics. And the reason why I bring this in is because I see from this community the weariness of of the onslaught. And they're like, listen, we, we want to say we don't want to be a part of these vaccines because of the abortion angle or these other issues that we've already uh, said. And now also you're seemingly heavy-handed against more traditional forms of piety. Uh, like, at some point, I can see pushing away so many faithful into more schismatic elements of, of the church. What say you, Phil Lawler? Well, again, I think that we are in a time when conflict in the church is becoming very open. There's been, there's been a conflict all my life, uh, and it's just becoming more and more open and obvious. And I think it's more and more uh, 
essential for good Catholics, as I say, to find a place where you find spiritual sustenance and to encourage the, the pastors and the bishops to do what they need to do to preserve the church and, and the, her- the heritage that is slipping away from us in, in many too many places. We're, we're definitely facing a church in crisis, and all of us have a role to play in pulling it through. Yeah, uh, Phil. Real quickly, the you know we were talking. Uh, I was talking on with a friend of mine, and we were discussing you know local parishes, uh, local dioceses. If you are in a local parish, canonically speaking, you are set aside to go to be this parish. This is your parish. The priest is over you. You're in his territory, and they were saying you know we should really be going to the parishes that we're assigned to that we live in. Uh, but in the time that we live in, I'm like, well, I mean maybe in ideal times but right now i the local parishes are not spiritually feeding me they're not spiritually healthy sometimes even um so is that a allowed thing to do is that something that we are allowed to do is go church shopping in a sense i think we are and i you know i i've spoken with bishops about this over the years and everyone i've spoken to has agreed that it's a good thing to have a geographical parish because what that means is wherever you live, somebody is in charge of you. There is a priest somewhere who is, you know, who, who is obliged to bury you if you die uh, and, and who is responsible for your spiritual welfare. And that's on his soul, by the way, but that's another issue. Uh, but this is an era when most people get in a car to go to mass anyway. And if you drive an extra five minutes, 10 minutes, or in some cases an hour, uh, so be it. You need to get to the place, as I say. I mean, I drive an hour regularly. It's, you need to get to a place where you're nourished. Amen. Amen. Well, praise be to God. Phil Lawler's been our guest. Uh, the website is catholicculture.org, and you can see his blog post there. There's a couple of really good ones on this particular topic. But let me also just encourage you one more time to check out his books. I, I've enjoyed them. I know you will, too. But Phil Lawler, thank you for your time today. We're very grateful to you. God bless you, and God love you. Thank you, and the same to you. All right. Have a great day. Praise be to Jesus Christ. That'll do it for our show today. God bless you. See you tomorrow. Live programming, regularly scheduled tomorrow morning. God bless you. God love you. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you.
Live from the sun-drenched